0: The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, disturbing political ideas, and disturbing sexual references.
1: Thursday, the 3rd of December 2020. In this fourth End of Spring series episode, I'm joined by Andrew P Street, who's an author, writer, journalist, and voice person. We talk about democracy, rats, racism... And a dead cat.
2: It's a, it's a cat that I'm not sure we want to be stroking for too long. We review some underwear-based music from Adelaide. It defies, I guess, conventional notions of scansion, which I, I, I like a lot.
1: And we discuss zombie mink. I love their early stuff. Hello, I'm Stillgarian. This is the 9pm Freedom Wine zombie mink war crime with Andrew P Street. And it's it's just a ridiculously long episode. Andrew P. Street, we've known each other for a very long time. I believe we worked together at a radio station in Adelaide when we, you did radio.
2: Well, yes, it was that was a very very long time ago. Uh, Nineteen
1: ninety bleh. Yes. Where blur I mean, we is were, a number we less so than five.
2: And, and, and oh. slender, and in my case, beardless. Yes. yes.
1: And this was all in Adelaide, and uh, this will definitely have an Adelaide tinge to it. Uh, but I was going to start with some of the, you know, as usual in this podcast, the important problems facing Australia. But news uh, has in fact come to hand. Uh, so to speak, as we record this. Um, I won't explain it. Here's a
3: grab from
1: uh, Euronews that I think says it all.
3: Fidesz MEP Yosef Shire has admitted to violating COVID-19 restrictions by attending what Belgian media is calling a sex party. Police were called to an apartment on Friday night in Brussels after getting a report of potential breaches of coronavirus restrictions. They found 25 people there, mostly men, Shire tried to escape along a roof gutter when police detained him. He, along with two others, invoked diplomatic immunity.
4: Now, earlier in the afternoon, Mr Shire himself released a statement to say that he was at the party, that he apologises to his family, to voters, to colleagues... Uh, for be- attending this party which broke COVID-19 rules. He says that he did indeed have an ecstasy pill on him, but that he was not aware of it and that he believed that it was planted, that it was not his.
3: Josef Shire is a close ally of the Hungarian Prime Minister, Viktor Orban, a man who is known for his very conservative views. So this
4: whole episode must be putting Shaya in a very difficult political situation. It's putting the whole of the Hungarian political institution, the, the the ruling party, the Fidesz party, in a difficult position. Oliver, he was a founding member of it, and as you know, that party espouses and pushes an extremely conservative agenda in Hungary and presses it here in Brussels as well. In fact, Mr. Sayar was part of a a, a group that that ruling party that wrote into the constitution that marriage is between a man and a woman, not uh, part of not between two men. Sort of anti-LGBT agenda that they were pressing. Uh,
1: what does this tell us about the human condition, Andrew?
2: Look, I I think that it's it's very important in situations like this to reflect on the fact that look, COVID COVID nineteen has been a um, a global tragedy. Obama. It is brought a lot of people a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. But my God, hasn't it been a turn on? I know that that I have been <laughs> desperately keen to indulge in massive sex parties with right wing politicians, and you know, I mean, they—they they obviously. I mean, more so their- than usual, I imagine. More so than usual. I mean, it. it I mean, in all seriousness, it, doesn't it just illustrate that truism that I think? So dawns on everybody, sort of, when they when they start looking at uh, right wing pollies that it's like a clock start, starts ticking the second that somebody, you know, expresses their their conservative worldview about you know marriage being between a man and a woman to the exclusion of all others, and the moment when they are forced to step down in shame or I don't know four corners. Uh, Runs a hour long expose on the affair that you're having with your staffer.
1: It's one of those things that's almost, you know, absolutely true, isn't it? As soon as you get, say, an American pastor doing the whole yeah. anti gay spiel, you know that within 12 months they will be found in an airport bathroom with a rent boy. 100%. And, and not that I have anything against that as a concept. I mean, fine. I personally prefer. Somewhere a little
2: more salubrious, but you know, <laughs> each to their own. Look, it's, I would have more sympathy for him if if, if the party had had sort of a, 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 a policy, which was, that, you know, marriage is between one man and one woman, and a sex party is between 14 <laughs> men and three women. And the, you know, yeah. these are the, you know, these are the, the principles by which we, we wish to uh, to be elected. Yeah, why not, you know? Also, I mean, you've got to feel for him too. Somebody, you know, somebody slipping a, a, a an ecstasy pill to him sort of, it, you know, it's so hard to find people you can trust at your COVID restriction flaunting sex party.
1: Uh, it's it's, know, look, it's a problem rude. I think we all have whenever we're in a social situation. People just... Start shoving drugs into our pockets, into our backpacks, into our purses.
5: Oh.
1: Um, Enough yeah. with the drugs,
2: everybody. Yeah. Also, there's one little detail that that was in the uh, was in the story that they didn't mention in that audiograph, which I loved. Which that when he was fa- when he was arrested, his hands were bloody, and he'd been like escaping um, along the gutter. Yes, which just I mean dignity quiet dignity that's the beauty of this yeah
1: what we also need to find out really we still have these two diplomats who are who have not yet been named um, there's a lot going on here but I will say when I was looking for that audio report I I did google for Brussels gay orgy and and can I tell that that was both a fruitful search and an unfruitful search all I at once
2: <laughs> <All right. laughs> He's a striking man too. He kind of he looks like if Yeah if if like Netflix would was doing a uh, you know kind of a, a crown like thing on um yeah, and they needed somebody to, to play Rasputin. That that's kind well, of the. Well Rasputin vibe. was a
1: bit Rasputin well, was a bit kind of shall we say Tossled hair and more rugged. Yeah, I, I can see him coming in as like off. the Duke of Bavaria, or you know, a Polish prince, or something like that. Well, he's Hungarian, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah.
2: He, he does. I don't know. He's he's a little more academic than that. He's sort of got the round glasses, mm. and he's also matching a in the in the in the photo of the Guardian. He's um sort of matching a, uh, a a blue tie with a with a brown jacket it really it does not work it's not power clashing at all it's
1: very euro academic you're mm, right very
2: much so very much so
1: this does remind me of uh, a story from october where uh, a priest was arrested for having a threesome with corset-wearing dominatrices on his church altar. This is the story. I think I've mentioned this on the pod before, but Reverend Travis Clark of the St. Peter's Saints Peter and Paul Roman Catholic Church in Pearl River, Louisiana. What I what I find annoying about this story is, okay, he was there with with his two lady friends. They were acting out a scene on the altar. They had like professional lighting set up, the whole thing was being videoed. And it was just some busybody going past, wondering what all the kerfuffle was in the church and the lights, peered through the window, complained, and then he was done uh, for essentially doing an obscene act that could be viewed by the public. And i think, yeah, but only because they came on the church property and looked... Not the through only the window. ones who
2: came on the church property, am oh. I right? Boom!
1: <laughs> oh, you should work in FM <sighs> morning <sighs> radio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I oh, yeah. will say, though, I did discuss this uh, with my friend Father Carl Sinclair, who was on the pod a few weeks ago and has been on before, who is a Catholic preach, and his his view was, mate, not on the altar. You know, uh not not even in the church. Do it in the presbytery, uh do it in a place made up to look like the altar of a church. Uh and perhaps ideally if you are a Catholic priest, maybe not at all, but
2: <laughs> you know, we're all human. If you must
6: yeah, you know, give in to your don't urges
2: league lights and uh, you know, yeah. to to sort of you know, that, that, that draws attention. Attract
1: the locals, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and
2: moths—you're going to get moths. <laughs>
5: oh, and that's, Louisiana that's not a turn
1: mosquitoes!
2: Oh, my wasn't God. it? Yeah. Was
1: it Louisiana that wanted? No, it was one of the others that wanted to make the mosquito
2: its state insect. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, I, admittedly, this was not my joke. I've seen it around a, a lot with relation to this story, but um, you know, you would think that the Catholic Church would just be, just be happy that he was having sex with an adult that was consensual, that you know, just, oh. just to kind of mix it up a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, there is another story which struck my attention today. We don't have time to do anything other than just mention it. It's a Kazakhstani bodybuilder has married a sex doll after a, quote, whirlwind romance. Um, as I said, let's skip over that. There are links on the website. As always, there are links to all these things on the website. 9 Uh But back to Brussels quickly. The MEP was done for breaking the COVID curfew. We'll come back to the COVIDs shortly.
7: The post made today, the repugnant post made today of an image, a falsified image, of an Australian soldier threatening a young child with a knife, a post made on an official Chinese government Twitter account posted by the deputy director general of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Mr. Lijian Zhao is truly repugnant. It is deeply offensive to every Australian, every Australian who has served in that uniform, every Australian who serves in that uniform today, every one who has pulled on a uniform and served with Australians overseas from whatever nation that they have done there. It is utterly outrageous.
1: And it goes uh, for another seven minutes.
2: I, I'm amazed that it doesn't go for another forty minutes. It's it, you know when it, Morrison getting a, a chance to uh, to speak up for the many uniforms of our people in uniform.
1: Yes, <laughs> um, that I mean that's another whole thing of his. Now, now this image it does show. Um, it's it's a modified image. There was a thing kicking around uh, that is, you know, the Australians come in peace or whatever with a soldier and there's a lamb and there's the Australian flag and the Iraqi, fla- uh, Iraqi flag, good heavens, of the wrong war, the Afghan flag. <laughs>
2: Afghan- oh, they all roll into one after a while. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, brown people, I don't know, in the yeah, desert. probably like just the Middle East flag, flag or something. <laughs> yeah, the Muslim flag. Yeah, that'd be it. But added to that, we had uh, the soldier with a knife to a kid's throat Um, and technically – Morrison can say that that's not a thing that happened, but the, because the Broughton report into the war crimes, which has dominated the news uh, in recent days, uh, that was not one of the allegations that was proven to be correct. So it's okay. Morrison's basic gripe is no, we didn't actually slit a child's throat. That we wasn't just one topped out a bullet to the head. Yeah, yeah. Our war crimes weren't exactly that one. Yeah, it's it's. Is it over? Is is this message really that over the top? It strikes me that it's like just many political cartoons that we see in the papers here every day.
2: Yeah, look, I mean, I realise that, that pointing out Scott Morrison's selective hypocrisy on on uh, whether something or other is repugnant um, is. <sighs> you know pointless and and fun but you know th- you don't have to look through too many issues of the australian to find cartoons that are a, a hell of a lot more offensive this is <coughs> you
1: know sleek. it's
2: it's a picture on twitter from a uh, you know for all the uh, uh, the idea that it's from the you know it's an official tweet from the Chinese government it was not it was from a Chinese own a Chinese government owned media outlet it was mm. delib you know it was trying to be provocative and succeeded beyond I think their wildest hopes it's just ah oh. I I'd, I mean I can understand why Morrison is making such a big deal about it because a he gets to pontificate about the uh, the, the, the men and women in uniform and this terrible, terrible insult. Uh, it also mm-hmm. manages to sidestep things like the inquiry into war crimes because it be- now it becomes all about how offended he is rather than about the, the evidence regarding the activities of our troops in Afghanistan. And also, um, you know, at the moment, uh, Stuart Robert is fighting a one-man battle in Parliament to insist that everything with robodebt was cool and that there's absolutely <laughs> no reason to investigate that any further and, and, and you know, a, what, $1.2 billion settlement in no way implies uh, culpability on the government's part. So, the, I mean, there are a lot of domestic political reasons why I can understand why they would want this to be on the front pages at the moment.
1: It's an opportunistic dead cat, therefore, but he's picking up someone else's dead
2: cat. And it's also, it's a, it's a cat that I'm not sure we want to be stroking for too long because, I mean, it does, you know, as, as, we, as we just said, that wasn't one of our war crimes, but then the, the question gets asked, so what were? And, and uh, they, <laughs> ain't, right. they ain't great. I mean, I'm not sure what a great war crime would be, but you know, the the, the evidence from the inquiry is not uh, is not flattering. And of course, you know, we we could we could also mention that this government has uh, you know a little bit of form in sicking the AFP onto media outlets that were uh, keen to get this information out into the public, and that there there are still lawsuits <laughs> pending against uh, whistleblowers on this very subject. So mm. the it, it, it is there it's, is a bit of it's stride a mixed dag, effect isn't blowback it? Yeah.
1: going on here. Oh. It is, because every time he mentions it, people are gonna go, wait, what war crimes are these? Um and someone who I, I like his analysis of China, Hervé Lemieux who uh, works at the Lowy Institute uh, for, um, uh, what is it called, I- international affairs or foreign policy or whatever. I uh, I-, I am sort of friends of the Lowy Institute. I go to a lot of their stuff, at least I did in the before times. He actually said, like, yeah, the before times, you know. I know they do it online now, so it's fine. Hey, but he
2: remember said... Remember music. Oh, that was a time. <laughs> <sighs>
1: Yeah, look, all of our friends in Melbourne just went, fuck off, you two. Fuck off. We did, it, and, and rightly so. Anyway, Hervé Lemieux said Morrison shouldn't responded. He said that Morrison was overly emotive and defensive, and that played right into China's hands. He said, we shouldn't deploy our top asset, the head of government, or asterisk. Separate discussion about whether Morrison is our top asset. Well, but I'm, I'm, I'm with him. Was,
2: I'm with him up until the
1: ET. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, he, the point is, don't you know? It's it's a minor troll by a relative. Well, certainly not top top level mm. Chinese foreign ministry guy. You reacted to it f- as prime minister. It's like just. Let it be, mate. Let it be. Particularly as you're in a trade war right now, and and China is playing this really cold. It's a it's a cold troll. They're not, you know, got any emotion in it. If the Russians did it, it would have been this amusing dark humour. <laughs> you call that a war crime? You know, <laughs> we have war crime.
5: <laughs>
1: uh, um. You know, Russian trolling is like a whole next level, as we know. Uh, but Morrison just had like a, a like a seven or eight minute sook about it. Um, I I don't
2: know. Sort of having a hissy fit about a tweet against a background of that there's no you know that we have fewer and fewer people able to to reach out to Chinese counterparts or to have conversations with Chinese counterparts where they can kind of go, our bosses, they're just they're they're a pair of twats, aren't they? You know, we're 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 cool. We can we can work this out. I just feel like it it means that the consequences of what is on the face of it a pretty small and stupid thing can be really really far reaching and really dangerous. It it just seems like just just tactically this is about the dumbest thing we could do.
1: I mean, that's a strong feature of our current government, of course. Uh, and, and, and as the, like, China's just cutting off bits of trade. There was barley. Uh, there was lobsters. Apparently, there are 24 bulk carriers, like, loaded up and waiting to dock in China, and they're saying no, and I can't remember whether it's iron ore or coal or a mix of both. Uh, and wine, that's the latest mm. one. Now, I, ha- I had been hoping that... The whole lobster thing would end up with this being called the Lobster Wars, like the UK and Norway had the Cod Wars in the 1970s, I think it was. But no, correction time, the Cod Wars uh, were a series of wars uh, running from the 1950s to the 1970s. They were between the UK and Iceland. The UK and Iceland. It's the Wine Wars and, like, Our allies and and friends are getting in on this. The US National Security Council tweeted the other day that they would be serving Australian wines at a function (laughs) to show solidarity. And today as we record this, I kid you not, Taiwan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs tweeted, we stand in solidarity with Australia by serving freedom wine. Wine. Foreign Affairs, Hashtag stronger together. Freedom (laughs) wine, Yellowtail is Freedom wine.
2: I mean, look at the risk of sounding bitchy, and you know, like we're we're all we're all South Australians here, and uh, you know, I'm currently uh, sitting, uh, you know, in the uh, in the southern suburbs of Adelaide, uh, not all that. Of course, you are. You know, easy easy drive to McLarenville. You know the. I mean, the greatest tragedy of this is that we might be getting, you know, boatloads of yellowtail back in Australia when we've gone to all this trouble Uh to send it as far away as we possibly can. Um, I
1: was in Vietnam
2: two or three years ago. Anyway, I was in... I remember travel.
1: Uh, (laughs) Oh,
2: yeah. What a uh, a
1: time. Yeah, anyway... um, I was at this kind of three-star hotel in Ho Chi Minh City Mm, and Australian wine, uh, yeah, Australian wine headed their wine list. That was the premium wine and they were selling Yellowtail for about 70 bucks US a bottle. Oh, Lord.
2: Now, maybe a lot of that was tax. I don't know. Um, Mind you, that would also, I mean, that being the case, that might explain why China is sending it back. <laughs> Maybe we should have sent them some of the good stuff.
1: Yellowtail, I should say, is one of Australia's um, most astounding export success stories. Their logistics systems are beautifully computerized, and they invented the container sized goonsack.
2: <laughs> Whoa. Whoa.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The wine is sent to China and other markets in a shipping container that contains essentially one single giant goon bag My and Lord. it's bottled in the country of Artwood. Well, because why do you want to ship bottles and all that weight? No, right? no, no,
2: absolutely. It, ship- makes, it makes yeah, sense.
1: Yeah, it's a fantastic – yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there you Imagine go. you one of them at your next party, right? A, 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 a 20-tonne goon bag of, of yellowtail tail. Chardonnay
2: The problem is Then you'd need Like probably A a, a 30 foot tall Hills hoist To attach it to If you were playing Wheel of Goon So (laughs) Yeah yeah, It's it's an engineering challenge No matter which way You look at it (laughs)
3: Hello and welcome to Focus Westchester, our weekly in-depth look at issues that matter to you, the residents of Westchester and the surrounding area. Coming up, Difficult to pronounce is the fact that Westchester is slightly difficult to say responsible for local job losses. (laughs) But first, drownings. The latest statistics from a government body make very surprising reading for residents of the reservoir, canal and gravel pit infested Westchester area. Over the last 12 months, no one from the Westchester region has drowned in lake, river or pond. Good news, you might say. Well, you'd be wrong, according to local frogman Neil Tender, who joins me in the studio. Good evening. Thank you for joining us. First of all, let's clear something up.
0: You don't actually work as a frogman, do you? No, it's, it's just a nickname. I had a ribbit-like burp at school, but that, that's all behind me now. Ribbit. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse <clears> me. <throat>
3: So you don't have a vested interest in drownings?
0: Absolutely not. I'm trying to draw attention to the massive waste of public money that's led to a situation where absolutely nobody in a whole year drowns by accident. What that must mean in terms of fencing, warning signs, swimming lessons, people coming into school to tell children to be careful, life belts and the maintenance of waterside paths is just staggering. There has clearly been a massive overspend because in any conurbation of up to half a million people, such as Westchester, that's run with the proper priorities, at least two or three people should drown every year.
3: (laughs) But surely the fact that no-one has drowned is a sign that just enough money has been spent on anti-drowning measures?
0: I'm afraid there's a huge flaw in that logic. It's like when people don't cook enough food for a dinner party and it all gets eaten and they say they've judged it really well and cooked just enough. No, there should be some left over to show that everyone's full. Similarly, a small number of drownees demonstrates that there hasn't been a vast and irresponsible council overspend on safety provisions. Surely one death by drowning is one too many. That's a ridiculous thing to say. (laughs) Think of the number of old people who will freeze to death without a heating grant or schoolchildren who will get run over because there are no traffic lights because of all the money lavished on keeping the two or three most drowned-susceptible Westchesterians alive? (laughs) Do those people deserve that money? More than a pensioner who spent their life working, watching where they're going and being careful not to fall into water? More than a transsexual waiting for the operation that might keep him, her, the right side of suicide? More than the 40 people in the Westchester area who died last year falling down cliffs?
3: A disgrace for a relatively flat region.
0: (laughs) Can it be only a coincidence that the city's only cliff... of any real size is almost completely obscured by drowning awareness slogans. What I'm saying is that everyone has to die and in a balanced, fair and democratic society, some of them should drown.
3: So are you one of those people who think that too much of a fuss is made when some kid gets killed?
0: Yes, I am. Give them a latchkey, let them walk home from school, the resourceful ones will pull through. That's from 2005.
1: That's the Michelin Web Sound, the radio version, uh, series two, episode three, which is on um, Audible. If you want to listen to all of that um, old comedy from that period, this is the Chris Alban approach to public health, isn't it? Exactly like what we've seen in the COVID. Uh, Chris Alban being the alleged chief political reporter at Nine, they're all going to die anyway. Why are we bothering?
2: Well, yeah, I, I was amazed listening to it. I'm a, I'm a big Mitchell and Webb fan and I had not heard that one before and I was like, oh, my God, this is – did they play this at the beginning of every – you know, is this sort of you know similar to a, like a Pledge of Allegiance that they do at The Australian before the the columnists are, <laughs> are sent, sent to scurry off to their cubicles to knock out whatever invective it is that they've, they've decided on for the day? Because I mean, it's it's – Chilling. How how much that in reads like in an Adam a Crichton free article. and democratic
1: <laughs> nation, some of them should drown. <laughs> oh.
2: it it does give so much cover for the the way that um, you know if you're going to keep moving the goalposts on uh, on any sort of public health measure. You know, now that, for example, we can't look at Sweden and go like, oh, well, we should be doing what Sweden are doing. Sweden, that's a, the that's a gold standard. Oh, there we are. It's like, oh, they've got a massive spike in deaths. Anyway, look, we're all going to die. Why are we worrying? Uh,
1: well, Adam Creighton at the Australian, <laughs> spit, um, he was <laughs> very much in the, you know, whole freedom to die thing. Uh, since Sweden of course decided, ah, oh, oh, maybe we got that wrong, we're all dying. He's gone very quiet indeed and then he's digging
2: out other other countries now. Yeah, I don't know what country he can pick now though that, that, that's the problem because it's it's starting to look more and more like New Zealand and Australia of kind of you know among the, the countries that are most successfully handling the pandemic. Which is a yeah, real shame. And Taiwan, shame.
1: and Vietnam, and Thailand. Well, we, and we can't talk about them because that, they're
2: they you know they're, they're not white. Well, yeah. oh, exactly, exactly. We, can, we can't we can't go acknowledging our uh, our regional neighbours in some sort of way. You know, that there are there are staff. We, we we can't we can't be acknowledging them. So, um, uh huh. So yeah, I, I I feel for him. I don't know what he can possibly do in in terms of. Uh, of of finding a, a nice, snowy, white, libertarian-tinged country that he can um, claim of, of doing a better job than, um, well, I, 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 I wouldn't say Australia, but specifically Victoria.
1: I saw one of the American anti-mask a lot the other day, um, sort of tweeting the Swedish flag to show that they had the freedom not to wear a mask, and I thought... One day they're going to find out that Sweden's one of the most socialist countries in the world,
6: (laughs) right? (laughs) Uh, But here's Uh, the thing.
2: No, they won't. No, they won't. No, they won't. And also, if they do, they still won't. (laughs) Exactly. In the UK, Lawrence Fox... Uh, who uh,
1: started a thing called the Reclaim Party, who calls himself a fierce liberal. Reclaim, reason, reform and progress. He, he tweeted, just had a large group over to lunch and we hugged and we ate and talked and put our world to rights. It was lovely. You'll never take that away from people. Stay out. Protect your rights. If the NHS can't cope, then the NHS isn't fit for purpose Compliance is violence. Jesus. Patrick Stokes, who's a philosopher in Melbourne, half of the band The Fake McCoys. Hi, Pat. Uh, he he compared that to World War II with a whole, you know, waving a spotlight from my balcony. Look, if the RAF can't take of Goering, that's <laughs> their problem, not mine.
2: Compliance uh, is violence. Compliance is violence. <laughs> See, I I can imagine just how proud he was when he came up with that slogan. It doesn't quite rhyme. It doesn't really roll off the tongue, <laughs> but it's sort of, it's it's got a it's got a bit of a thing going. You know, it's a, it's a you can imagine him just kind of, you know, being encouraged to workshop it a little bit more. and Going, no, 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 it's good, it's good, it's good. Compliance, yeah. Is violence. Uh, you yeah. Know, if you slur it, it works enough, better in
1: Australian, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Violence, yeah. 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 If, if you just use the vowel sounds, if if you if you concentrate on the assonance, you're fine. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, no, it's, it's
1: the emphasis on ass.
2: <laughs> seems oh,
1: to be a sorry. Thing. Moving, moving on, moving on. For me, it's quarantine's day two hundred and sixty. Although things are winding down in New South Wales, that's thirty-seven weeks. You are in Adelaide, of course, uh, where it seemed. South Australia seemed to have escaped the worst of it, and then just recently we've had this whole sudden lockdown about the Woodville Pizza Bar, and then somebody lied. It's like, well, hey, what's what's the order? How did this all unfold?
2: Well, let's see. So so first we had um, nothing at all. We, we had a very, very long period of no infections. And In the beginning the- there was the void, and the void was, yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, sorry,
1: more recently, yes,
2: yes. Well, there was, uh, you know, a, a good, healthy South Australian complacency where um, it was. It was funny. I was well, it's not funny. I was talking to uh, my GP when I when I consulted her a little while ago. We were making idle conversation, as one does, you know, with the the masses of money that Medicare just throws at GPs these days. And she was saying that she's been seeing a lot more sort of, uh, flu, you know, colds and flus lately. And I said, oh, that's interesting. She goes, no, it's not interesting. It's terrible. It means that nobody's washing their hands and nobody's using masks. And
6: mm-hmm. I was
2: like, yes, I've been to Marion Shopping Centre. I'm well aware of this. You know, I I, I said completely maskless. Mate, Marion Shopping Centre,
1: you know how to live.
2: Yeah, I tell you what, you know, when you're uh, when you're you're looking looking for a good time, um, finding a park at Marion—that's the—that's that's living living the dream. My my kids do swimming lessons next to it. Um,
1: oh, okay. There's
2: there's a very deep puddle, and I'm a, I'm a very cheap father. But um, anyway, uh, I will apologise to
1: the other ninety five percent of the listeners to this podcast for having a little Adelaide moment there. <laughs> there may be, there may be a few more to come.
2: But yeah, so we had this outbreak, um, which was centred around Woodville Pizza Bar, and it turned out that it was a uh, uh, a person on a um, student visa, I believe, or uh, mm-hmm. with, with very limited uh, work rights, who was doing a bit of cash in hand under the under the table uh, work at Woodville Pizza Bar, whilst also working in the quarantine hotel, because of course. Uh, people on visas in australia are one of the arbitrary groups that our government decided you know what you can pr- you're probably fine we don't need to give you any income support uh-huh. you know you know students on visas who can't possibly go back to their home countries because we've closed all of the borders you know you You've probably got mates you can crash with, right? That's, you know, you uh-huh. students and with, your, with your fun times and, your, and your, your your rock and roll and your hippie-hop music, you're probably going to be good, right? You know, you're... you're and your with style. a visa
1: that says you can work at most 20 hours a week.
2: Yeah, exactly, so
1: with, which is you know, you up,
2: can, enough to live yeah. on. Yeah.
1: Surely. If you're working on minimum wage,
2: yeah. yeah. How, how greedy are these people? So we we have this perfect storm of insecure work and uh, a, a, a person from a from a group that the government has deliberately excluded from any kind of support, um, who told the contact tracer and uh, where he had been, but did not disclose the important information that he worked there rather than that he uh, was just picking up a pizza. So then, uh, SA Health thought to themselves, oh, my God, we must have this super strain of COVID going on and instituted a very, very uh, immediate and pretty brutal lockdown sort of at about 12 hours' notice, um, saying that for eight days it would be everybody restricted to their homes, businesses would close, uh, you know, no, no gatherings, no nothing, essential workers only, you know, mandatory mask wearing, you know, one person from each household able to go out once a day to buy essentials, kind of thing. And everybody sort of went like, "Oh, okay. Well, look, you know, that's 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 fair enough if that's what we need to do." And then it got lifted after sort of about two and a half days when when it was revealed the the situation this this fellow was under. And in the in one of the the least admirable performances by our premier, he proceeded to do everything other than name the the guy. He revealed a lot of very uh, identifiable details about him. Uh, he named where the place worked, uh, sorry, uh, where he worked, uh, which forced the police to put on protection around the Woodville Pizza Bar because people were understandably pretty, pissed off about having been forced on lockdown, particularly, again, people who are, who are working casually or working insecurely, who suddenly were looking at a fortnight with absolutely no money coming in. And um, and then, bizarrely enough, about two weeks later, it looks like a schoolgirl did actually get infected with, uh, with COVID-19 from picking up a pizza from... Woodville Pizza Bar. So the exact situation that we thought happened uh, initially, but this time around, that's fine. We're, we're, we're not we're not going to overreact by doing anything about it. Really, we're... <laughs> now I, w- I will say that we've, we've <sighs> they've, they've upped the contact tracing. Um, Nicole Spieria, our, uh, our chief medical officer, is um, sort of uh, seems very confident about having everything under control. There hasn't really been any outbreaks from that. There, there was, a, a again, a, a massive call for people to self-isolate after this Woodville High student um, uh, was identified, which sort of had, in, you know, essentially the entire inner west of Adelaide um, staying home for, again, about 12 hours before that got lifted. So it's been sort of a Very weirdly up and down situation, but it does seem like the Marshall government has decided that okay, from now on, we're going to underreact to things and see how that works out, and um, <laughs> which worries me
6: a great deal. It I mean, really no, I'm does.
1: not a big fan of centrism, but at the same time, can yeah, can we do this now? Miss Nicole, uh, your, your health uh, official there, mm-hmm. she had to issue an apology the other day. Um, I will let, yeah, all right, I will let Sky News explain.
0: South Australia's top health official has publicly apologised for wrongly accusing a foreign student of breaching coronavirus quarantine. Professor Nicholas Spurrier says, an urgent review found the man aged in his 30s was never directed to quarantine by SA Health or SA Police and therefore has done nothing wrong. Adding... She would like to personally apologise for this miscommunication and thank him for continuing to work with us. The student initially tested negative and adhered to instructions to remain indoors. After the lifting of the statewide lockdown, he visited several Adelaide stores and businesses. He then tested positive to the day 12 swab.
1: So this this is another person. This is another guy who... Yes. Did the right things, and and over here in the eastern states, we were told, oh, he was meant to be in quarantine, and we end, we went, he went out, and then I saw the tweets from South Australia, which were all, you know, pitchforks and torches, oh, and yeah. you know, yeah, burn the heathen. Yeah,
2: you know, it, again, everybody was very. It, it's the enthusiasm with which everybody is very keen to report. Who it is that fucked up, and also making just just adding that little detail of like, also it's a foreign who did it. One of one of the foreigns did a wrong, and that's why that's why we're, we're in this situation. And it's it, it's very difficult, you know. Like what I was going to say, you know, you know what once can be an accident, you know, twice looks like a policy. But I'd I'd say number huh. one looks awfully like a policy as well. And yeah. and a lot of it is, I think, um sort of Stephen Marshall looking at the success of Scott Morrison and going, okay, Stephen so Stephen
1: Marshall is the premier of South Sorry, Australia. Yes. Stephen for I, I just
2: assume Everybody know. knows last <laughs> superstar <Yeah>. premier.
1: <laughs> no, no. Uh one of the one of the quizzes in the Saturday paper the other day was named the deputy leader of the federal opposition and I thought Fuck, I had to, I was puzzling over that one for quite some time. It's
2: tenure, isn't it? No, 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 no. It's Richard Miles. Oh my god, it is too. Oh, sorry, I was See, I was thinking of the previous. Okay, regime. here's one for oh, you. Name
1: the deputy prime minister. Who's the deputy prime minister? It's Mimble's McMummon,
2: leader of the National That's Party. That's the fellow. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that that transu- <laughs> translucently pale man who who uh, likes to <laughs> change the subject to Elvis whenever he's asked awkward questions about water buybacks. It's a good, good
1: strategy. Yeah. Uh, anyway, back to Stephen Marshall. Yeah, Stephen, Stephen Marshall is, is
2: is very much using the, the Morrison playbook of "It wasn't my fault. I don't hold a hose, mate." And um, the the enthusiasm and the uh, the vehemence with which he has leapt to blame foreigners in our midst for. You know what is essentially a you know a pub a public health issue with an extremely infectious virus that is in the community. I mean, you know, like it doesn't strike me as something where we really are looking to blame anybody. We could all kind of go, well, it's a virus. It's it's here. It's also everywhere. This stuff's going to happen. Is just it's it's disappointing and it's. Kind of, it, it's scary just seeing how 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 quickly South Australians in particular have been willing to go go with mob justice if they can possibly get away with it.
1: Mm. Mm. And and it's, I mean, there is in other fields something called like fault free or blame free post mortems. Air safety works, for example, on this that if something goes wrong. There's this whole sense of, okay, we're not looking for someone to blame. We're looking to find out what systemic things we can improve Mm. to help make sure this doesn't happen again. And if something happens that, you know, we all go down to human error is the blame, right, for so many things, human error. But the the response of the air safety and other things is, well, why did that human end up making that error? Mm. What? What made it easy for them to cause an error,
2: rather than the
1: system having some mechanism
2: to prevent them making an error? But that's but that's kind of the problem here, because if you say, well, the systemic problem here is uh, our treatment of. Uh, people on visas in our country and oh, yeah. the the pressures of insecure and casualized workforces then it's kind of like well obviously we're not going to fix those problems those, those those are you know that's a feature not a bug so the real uh-huh. problem's got to be foreign question mark mm-hmm. so yeah that, that 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 I think is <sighs> is kind of South Australia's approach to this at the moment, as best I can tell.
1: What I love is that South Australia does have, like everyone else, the anti-masker freedom and democracy (laughs) kind of people. Uh, And uh, another journalist, Cameron, uh, I've written down Cameron Wilson here, is that it? Yes, Cameron Wilson, uh, who uh, is a wonderful journalist following all this stuff, Uh, in suburban Adelaide, uh, the other day was there, there was this chap uh, loudly, loudly singing in the cause of freedom. And I need to say, at, I'll put a photo on the website. Uh, you need to realise that this guy is performing this from his garage in his underwear.
5: Fuck you and it's your last chance for the people, the mask wearers. The TV watches, it's our last chance to say fuck you to them. So let's rock and roll. See his rock faces hiding in the safe places. And I've been thinking, where are the men of old? That couldn't be Fuck you! Oh, Fuck you!
2: I might
1: play the whole thing a bit
2: later. It's <laughs> it's a
1: powerful It's very song. energetic.
2: It, and, it is, and look, it, and it really does. Uh, you know, it, it it defies, I guess, conventional notions of scansion, which I I, I like a lot. <laughs> in terms of you know, really, when you're being rebellious, I think it's important to uh, to kind of just end your lines a little bit early, just to just really send home that thing of like, you know, I'm not playing by your rules, man. But also. The, the, the men of old who can't be bought or sold, I'm not sure. I mean, is this a protest against Big Mask? Like, the, like is, is he. I'd, I'd, is this. Yeah, I'd. Get, getting well, all Soros, those, George
1: Soros. All those George billionaires Soros wants who you to wear a mask
2: or something. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know that Soros is, is, is actually stitching masks himself and kind of uh, profiteering. Of, you know, like, well that's like, is this like that's, an anti yeah, exactly. <gasps>
1: he's hidden. He's hiding his invol uh it's
2: an anti spotlight uh, anthem. That's it. He the, the, the he's getting at, at these craft stores. Dear listeners, if
1: you haven't listened yet, three weeks ago, Cam Smith, Sexenheimer's on the Twitter. He was on the the show and we just went way down these rabbit holes. Uh it's amazing. It's amazing stuff. Uh, look, another friend of the pod, Mark Newton, um, said he, he again, he's part of the Adelaide diaspora. Mm. He was back in Adelaide a few weeks back. Uh, and so many places didn't even have hand sanitizer then. Now, that was before, you know, the things we've just been talking about. But he says he was getting exasperated after conversations with family members because they were clearly convinced that, Covid nineteen was an eastern states thing, not their problem. Yeah, uh, and look, you wrote about
2: this too, and you
1: you called it hubris. <laughs> <wasn't> it? <laughs>
2: I did because I I use pretentious words. Um, you do. now now I will I will say this: the things have changed since the, the second lockdown and since the um, the events that have followed. Um. Mask wearing is not; it's still not super common here. Um, I know this because I was out in a mask yesterday, and was very much noticing, you know, the the dozens of other people who also had masks, as opposed to the many who did not. Um, certainly, hand sanitizer is around. Um, we've also there is now compulsory COVID check-ins pretty much everywhere. There's a, a South Australian health app that um, went live literally yesterday. Uh, mm, and, I hope it works. Uh, well, I, I was actually surprised. I, uh. I, I grabbed a takeaway coffee this morning and um, was a little bit surprised that I had to check in. So I've, I've used it for the first time. It seemed it, it was very straightforward. So I feel like maybe it was a short, sharp shock that, South Australian needed to kind of take this seriously. I'd, I'd be really curious to know how folks in Western Australia uh, are kind of uh, feeling about everything as well. Because mm. cer- certainly here – it was very, very scary and then absolutely not our issue. And, you know, the only way that the disease was going to get to South Australia was if those filthy Victorians came across the border.
1: But, um, <laughs> and they're not even brown. Well, some of them are. Uh, well, first
2: they took our Grand Prix and now they're trying
1: to destroy us oh, with their disease. Oh, oh no. Oh the, oh, the Grand Prix. We could talk for another, like, half an hour about that, I know. But, look, before we go any further, that piece we just quoted where you use the word hubris, that was from Broadsheet. Uh, if we've got time, we've got some bits from The Big Smoke coming up where you've written. Do the plugs. Where can people find you? Because uh, no one listens to the end.
2: No, no, no. Look, um, I, I, do, I have a Patreon where I, I do a, a subscription column, which is normally me ranting about something that has uh, sort of got, gotten stuck in my admittedly fairly adhesive craw about Australian politics. Uh, this is, is a,
1: a kind of thing that very few white middle-aged men have ever done. Oh, I
2: know. I know. It's – it's. I, I guess my, my twist is that um, I, I like people and I think government can work rather than, say, everybody at The Australian – So, uh, yeah, so uh, patreon.com backslash Andrew P. Street is my my thing. Uh, There's a bunch of stuff that you can read for free or you can subscribe for $3 US per month and get a bunch of stuff sent to your email. Um, And there's normally at least two or three fairly bad puns in each one. I, I think it's fair to say, and a lot of uh, intrusive gifts. I'm very big on intrusive gifts.
1: Um, oh, good. That seems to be a that seems to be a a feature of people I have on this podcast because John Birmingham was on recently too, and he, he oh, has Burma. Burma. He's yeah, a gentleman, he's that man. Right. He is. He is a gentleman. Um, yes, very, very ragged evening.
2: That there. You've also written books. I have, I have, I I, um, I, I can, I can technically call myself uh, a best-selling author on on the the basis of um, the short and excruciatingly uh, embarrassing reign of Captain Abbott, which uh, admittedly was best-selling in in the sense of Australian non-fiction slash politics, which is, but it's it's still a category, and I will still use that on my, um, my email signature. And that's the actual title of the book, isn't it? Yes, The Short and Excruciatingly Embarrassing Reign of Captain Abbott. And it's still in print, which is delightful because, um, you know, Papa needs his royalties. Well, before we leave the uh, COVIDs,
1: um, Zombie Mink um, in Denmark. I Denver. love their
2: early stuff.
1: <laughs> that is a great band, it's Zombie Mink. Yeah, it's wow. you know, very velvet underground, isn't
2: it? And then you know when they when they signed with with uh, with Epic, they just sold out, man. It was just you know it used to, it used to be about the mink.
1: <laughs> well, these mink, as opposed to that fabulous band Zombie Mink, I still want to do that now. Um, so <laughs> Denmark, as as I spoke about last time with Uperly Divisecra. The mink got infected or were infected. Anyway, minks, minks got the covids. Yes. So Denmark mink may have started the slaughtered. Well, maybe. Yeah. They were, again, well, I don't know. Might have, I don't know. Might have, might have
2: been an early vector. Anyway, yeah. Sorry. So, so I, I, I just realised I was just the, course, defaming mink. I mean, they you know that's yeah. I, I don't. I don't know that they've got mink, sh-
1: mink shaming. <laughs>
2: Oh, Waleed Ali is right. This call-out culture. <laughs> Stop trying to cancel mink, straight.
1: Well, Denmark did cancel the mink. They killed them all. And then they buried them, except now the mink carcasses have been swelling up and pushing out of the ground. They're buried. <laughs> uh so it turns out they they didn't bury them deep enough. So <laughs> these mink carcasses are are emerging from the soil in Denmark. Why are you concerned?
2: Look, I will say this: this is going to make one hell of a good premise for a low budget horror film in a few years' time. And when, oh, absolutely! When we're we're feeling a little bit more sanguine about things like this, <laughs> I'm just trying to think what what the what the tagline would be. You know, like. Oh, to the film Zombie Mink. Yeah, like the, loving them was our first mistake, burying them was our last. You know, something like that. But
1: I am now going to embarrass uh, John Birmingham because he put out a challenge to write a novel in a week, like from a premise on Monday to publishing on Friday, mm. and he he now is very embarrassed to have done it. But I am just pulling it up on my Kindle. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. You Because I I, I'm just, going to do another shout-out for it <laughs> just to annoy the
2: cut. Oh, the, the flesh-eating um, sea lice was the uh, – Yes, that's the one. Wave of mutilation, what lice beneath. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Well, well <laughs> thank ABC News, which is where I just <laughs> just Googled Google to get that from.
1: Apparently, there's also a Pixies song called "Wave of Mutilation.
2: There most certainly is.
1: Oh, it's
2: on it's on wow. Doolittle, 1989, produced by Jill Norton.
1: This this is this is excellent. Possibly, and Jill I will.
2: I'm not sure whether it's a hard G it. or a soft G.
1: Oh, right, Jill or Gill? Yes. Okay. Um, this is going to be incredibly difficult to edit in, but regular listeners will know I'll just use beeps and whatever. I can't even remember what the feed line was for this. So, yes, uh, this reminds me a lot of John Birmingham's book, uh, which he denies, Wave of Mutilation, What Lice Beneath, uh, where... Where there were apparently these sea lice that attacked people's feet. And then I'll edit in your whole thing about the pixies and that. And that is going to. Oh, that will sound so gloriously half-assed. That will will be. Uh, It'll fit with the premise of the podcast. There we go. That will pop. That will slap.
2: As I believe Uh, the young people. Slap is probably no longer so.
1: It will. (laughs) Uh. Dear, um, we'll say that's so, on, so heat
2: so- or something. I don't know. I, I, my my last sort of so- thing where I worked regularly in a in an office for money um, was at a commercial radio station writing stuff for an absolutely dreadful website. And um, I had to get, given that I had sort of 20 years on everybody else who was writing for it, I had to get very conversant. With the language of the young people. Of
1: the young folks, of the youth. So, right. Even say the youth is now <laughs> so horribly old. Um, I, I I need one of us to say something with a suitable downward inflection so I can play a sting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Otherwise, this will be hell to edit. Fair enough. Uh,
2: I, I, don't,
1: I don't. I mean, you could just say, okay, you do that then. All right,
2: you do that then.
5: <laughs>
2: wow, it's a professional outfit, isn't it?
1: It really is. Oh dear, and this is this is where I tell people that they actually for this podcast, kind of. Yes, because this podcast is supported uh, by the generous listeners. And uh, the next episode in this spring, uh, end of spring series uh, 2020, uh, will be with Genevieve Bell, distinguished Professor Genevieve Bell, uh, who's an anthropologist, a technologist. Uh, She heads up the 3A Institute at the Australian National University, uh, where she really... Well, she runs a master's course where they look at how the fuck will all this technology change the world in the future. I'm really looking forward to speaking with her again, this time uh, with the tape running, as they say. And I know she's been uh, interested in telegraphs of late, um, because the telegraph transformed the world. So what does that mean for us? So if you want to insert your brain into that episode, if you've got Trigger words are a conversation topic and you want to use it, you'll need to get it to me uh, by midday Thursday. That's midday Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Thursday, the 10th of December. And I'll uh, put that into the mix. As I say, though, thank you, as always, to you, the generous listeners. Uh, thank you again uh, this episode for, yes, everyone who supported this end of spring series Uh all those names are on the, the podcast website, except for the people who didn't. And thank you also this episode to regular friend of the pod, Jody Miners, who, who really enjoyed the chat with Cam Smith the other day. And yes, uh, I mean, I've already said go listen to it if you haven't, but if, you know, go listen to it if you haven't. If you'd like to join those lovely people uh, and, you know, you don't have more important things to spend your money on right now... Uh, Go to stillgerian.com slash tip. Well, actually, no, the 9 edict.com slash tip. That's right. It works now, doesn't it? Go there. Uh, you can click through to see how subscriptions work as well. Please consider. Well, look, I still think that uh, the president will get four more years in office. I think it'll be the next four years
6: because this thing is far from over. Wow, you just but had certifications
5: I, I today in Arizona, in Georgia, in Wisconsin. You heard well, Geraldo moments ago look, say, you know, it's time to accept the outcome of this. What what are you seeing or hearing out there that that he is not?
6: Well, those certifications are just procedural steps, and the reality is the Electoral College does not vote uh, in in their states until December 14th. Mm-hmm. Uh, Congress doesn't actually
1: certify anything until the beginning of January, so we've got plenty of time. Plenty of time, says Laura Trump, daughter-in-law of the Donald. Plenty of time. For most years. Uh, we, we should actually um, – this isn't in the running sheet, but we saw today – uh, and I'll bring it up on screen. Someone is going through all of the statements <laughs> by people giving evidence to in Michigan uh, to this oversight committee about, oh, why the vote was rigged, and and it's people like, um, I mean. Yes, Linda, who's a nurse, believes COVID is fake. She believes only a sneeze or cough spreads COVID. Having a mask below your nose does not spread COVID. What that has to do with the Election Oversight Committee is is, I'm confused. Here we go, Bill. Bill says I'm not – or this is sandwich breath on the Mm. – link's on the website. You know this. Bill doesn't seem positive either. He says the counting room was hot. He carried a thermometer that said 85 degrees. So, therefore, the election is invalid.
2: I I like Miss Fine, who was not at any polling place, but refuses to stop testifying. Check out the COVID. (laughs)
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, I mean, mean, when you've got... Vicky says a lot of the ballot envelopes were closed with packaging tape. She
2: saw workers that had pens. Gordon isn't sure, but her poll workers were paid $600 in Detroit. Evidence of fraud, possibly.
1: Terry said that she saw a video at someone's house that poll workers were told to be mean to her. She thinks maybe on YouTube. <laughs> 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 Eddie walks up wearing a giant orange hat. I seen a lot of fraud. He mentions eating at Mr. B's tavern. Oh, what is uh, no, seriously. To, I I know, dear Lister, that I say links on the website, but seriously, check out this one. It is it is like what?
2: Oh, what 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 is even happening with these people? And with this sort of knockdown evidence, this sort of brilliantly uh, you know, plausible and and well supported. Uh, demonstrations of fraud. I reckon they just need to turn that that election around. Just give it to Trump. Ah. I mean, he seems to Ah. really, really want it. I mean, Ah. I'll rephrase that. People around him seem to really, really want it. He seems to be golfing, largely. But, you know, I'm sure, you know, (laughs) Christmas is coming. I don't know how many more Christmases Trump is going to have. He's been very unwell. So, to be fair, how many
1: Christmases has Joe Biden got?
2: Well, I mean, what the man injured himself playing with a dog. I mean, it's it's really a. Well, there you go. It's it's a it's a cornucopia of uh, of men in their absolute prime.
1: I saw a thing on one of the Q things just today. They said, "What is going on here?" Hillary had quote, injured foot, unquote, and was wearing a boot. Joe Biden has a, quote, injured foot wearing wearing a boot. That's to hide their bracelets because they've been a- arrested, right? That's their tracking bracelets oh, around God. their ankles. But, yeah. That's how it works. Absolutely. Now, you have written a thing saying that it is hard for Trump to find good help. <laughs> in these times, to steal the election, which I, I think was a couple of weeks ago, but it's still true.
2: Yeah, look, I, 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 I do genuinely think that this is, you know, obviously it was a little bit tongue in cheek, but I, I think it's actually a, a legitimate problem that Trump has had. Oh, the, really? <laughs> tongue in cheek? You? <laughs> no. <laughs> or oh, taking a little bit of a lighthearted approach of the news. The um. You know, it, it, again, it's a point which other people have made, but you do have to worry that if there was somebody like Trump who was competent, like the sort of damage they could do, that one, one of the greatest saviours of, of, of the current situation is that Trump only uses bargain-basement people. I mean, I've said this in the article that you know, the main criteria for his legal counsel is how long will it take them to realise that they're never going to be paid, that that is the kind of the, the the base criterion for everybody that he hires. and if he actually had some decent strategists and if he had some good legal counsel, he could do some real damage. but when it's just howling nut jobs telling you know weird rambling anecdotes that have admi- admitting that they weren't even at a polling place but they're sure that there's fraud because, Hats, you know because they
1: saw a sign at a parade. Yeah.
2: Well the Democrats were gonna be mean to me. I saw it in a video.
1: I know. I was I was I mean I I spend way too much time down this particular rabbit hole. But but yeah there were judges in the various states where this was being a thing saying Yeah, what sorry, what what are you actually alleging? What evidence are you presenting to support this allegation? What what do you want to happen? Um, you know, there's none of that here. It, like fir- first-year fucking law students could do better.
2: I mean, but I just love the implication that, oh, they're, they're keeping their evidence until they get to the Supreme Court. It's like, you, you, do, you, do you know how the Supreme Court works? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah,
1: that's, yeah, no new evidence in the Supreme Court. I mean- It's t- about-
2: how the law works—it's the exact opposite. Precisely of how court works. I mean, the fact that that um, that Rudy Giuliani was citing my cousin Vinny is like, oh, I, I get it. He thinks that it works with like a, a third act twist. Is like kind of okay. We've had the co- we've had the call to adventure, and now now we're we're sort of moving our way through the uh, the screenplay steps, and so you know now now we've now we've got to. Uh, you know, bring it all home, and you know, get something—a nice, really kicky track for the. And I
1: I anal I a n a l I am not a lawyer, um, but even I know that a movie, a movie that you saw once is not
2: admissible evidence. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but the weird thing is that. that really knows that, which is why he's presented, like all of the stuff that he's talked about in his press conferences and all the stuff that he's talked about in front of judges are completely different because he knows Ah. that you can talk bullshit to the media and if you try that in front of a judge, then that has consequences, actual consequences. So, Even some of the judges that they've nominated
1: might behave like judges. Well, I mean,
2: when you've even got Sean Hannity sort of going like, you know, you know I want to believe this. Like, give me something. I will tell, tell the people on my show, just give me a piece of evidence. And then having to, to kind of, you know, heartbrokenly admit that he's being blocked by the lawyers now because they keep politely asking, well, if you want to come on the show, Where's your evidence? And they get terribly <laughs> offended. Oh, uh, although there is a
1: clip floating around today of uh, Hannity saying, "I don't, I don't vet any of the information I've given here because because freedom or something." <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: look, the uh, you know the. The hallmark of good journalism is to just repeat what anybody tells you. That's that's how it works. That's <laughs> my understanding.
1: Oh, oh apparently so. Uh, so Fox News, for example, speaking of good journalism, has noted that from November the 2nd, which was, you know, when the election happened or the day after or whatever, to the 16th, so over that two-week period, Twitter labelled 100 Trump tweets with a flag questioning its veracity, none of Biden's tweets were so tagged.
2: <laughs> bam, bam, bam. That's
1: the bias. That's the bias. Um, and to wrap up our discussion of Trump, because, again, uh, we love talking about him, uh, from the New York Times, uh, President Trump apparently has discussed with advisors whether to grant preemptive pardons to his three oldest children plus Jared Kushner.
2: See, here, look, that's confidence in what you're doing, isn't it? This is a legitimate question, just with regards pardons, because I, I I know that that oh, uh, yes. the, the pardon I, I know are going here for for federal laws. Don't you have to actually, in order to 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 grant a pardon, do they need to st- be found guilty of something? Yeah, that's that's kind yeah, of where that. I'm going at. Like, I I don't think you get to say. You know, like, this This is the equivalent of Barley's and Chasey, or it's just like, no matter what happens, I, I'm not it. I I think you've actually got to be. What do Americans me-
1: call Chasey? Chasey's an Australian term. Oh. Catch. Catch?
2: Stop trying to make where catch Where you chase
1: happen. someone and you tag them. Yes. Tag, chase.
2: Sorry, isn't that's a, that's isn't a whole thing. Is I just called tag? I, I, I know I've. I've, I've it's definitely called playing Tag I, in some places. Although Tag, for me these okay. days, uh, Tag is, a, is is one of the characters from um, Hey Dougie on ABC for Kids. So, um, yeah. That's, okay, that's, very that's, much that's another whole
1: rabbit hole. Okay, I will insert another edited in bit. <laughs> no, I won't. You can look it up for your fucking selves. So there's the explanation of that. But back to... Um, what are we talking about?
2: Pardons um, and the and the yes, like whether you can be given a pardon without preemptive pardons. Yeah, I,
1: pardons for things that you may or may not have been found guilty of, just generally.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know that you can. You can get a pardon for something that you're going to vocally deny that you ever did, as well. Like, I, I just, I, I don't. I would have thought so. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly don't know. I don't know whether you can just say, like, yeah, whatever they did, it's, it's fine, whatever, whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah. But then maybe the President can. I don't know. We will find out.
6: The cancelling of celebrity chef Pete Evans, the pack attack. Now, I have to say I've got... No tears at all for Pete Evans. I can't believe media outlets having given him such a platform for so long. But I am torn here. Evans was today sacked by Channel 10 from the filming of the next I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, and was dropped by a couple of publishers. Woolies is going to ban his books, businesses that sign him up or sold his cookware like uh, Baccarat and House, they've dropped him. And so overnight, Pete Evans' earnings have been absolutely smashed. It's been cancelled. Now, this came after he posted this image on Instagram of a caterpillar talking to a butterfly saying, you've changed. An oldie but a goldie, says Evans, but look at the image on the butterfly wings. Now, that is the same image as the one that was on the backpack of the far-right murderer who killed 51 Muslims in Christchurch.
1: Now, that's the remarkable Andrew Bolt on the Sky News from the 17th of November. And Essentially
2: saying, I, like, I on the one hand, I don't like Pete Evans, but on the other hand, he is a fascist. He is a fascist he And I feel Nazi. sympathetic yeah. about it. So, you know, I I know torn. I'm torn. I'm <laughs> torn.
1: I know. I know.
2: I'm all out of faith. This is how I feel.
1: You've suggested that Pete Evans and, and – this is back on the nineteenth of November you did this, which I think is preempting some of the stuff that's come out in the last couple of days. You suggested that Pete Evans really should be recruited by Pauline Hanson of Pauline Hansen's One
2: Nation. Absolutely. I, I I think they're missing a trick if they don't. He's he's the right kind of crazy for them. He's charismatic, which is more than you can say for anybody in the party who who isn't Pauline Hanson? Who, who, I don't know, oh, no, 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 no. I reckon, in a very, I, very broad I reckon
1: Malcolm, I reckon Malcolm Roberts would be a good route.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Those eyes just boring into your soul. <laughs>
1: I, I know, I know. I mean, he looks as if you'd never have to even give him any meth
2: to begin with, right? <laughs> Uh, he's already
1: he's already out there in the full psychosis.
2: Look, I I am I, I'm, I'm not me, generally a, a fan of mocking somebody's appearance, but you know, like I, I feel like watching him give his maiden speech in in um in Parliament and thinking like, is he going to blink at any point, or is this are those are those eyes just ornamental? I know
1: there's something about okay right well, yeah we shouldn't mock people because of their appearance that's that's I think but at the same time there are certain signs in someone's demeanor and aspect so his eyes you're right it's like what is what is going on in there that's a that's a thing
2: well isn't that one of the, one of the things that, that Ford Prefect is described as like in um in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy like. That you know, obviously he looks human, but there's there's something about him that's sort of slightly otherworldly and one of the things was he oh. doesn't blink quite often enough. And um, and I always have that going through my head when I look at, at Roberts. It's just like come on, blink, 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 come on, blink, 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 blink. And that goes on for about forty minutes and then finally, you know, his nictating membranes flash across his 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 face.
1: He's a strange critter, but
2: I mean, he's do you want to Rod expand
1: Calliton. on your argument about Pete Evans for One Nation or not? Should we go on to talk about rats?
2: Well, I, I, like, I I mean, I, I'd sort of – I'd made the, the comment as a joke and it was just one of those things where, like, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, this makes perfect sense because, mm. you know, it, it was coming sort of on the on the back of the Queensland election where the, the One Nation vote, um, you know, completely collapsed and just on that subject <laughs> – Anyway. Yeah. So you know the Tell the, us how the, you really feel. The, the party needs renewal if it's going to survive. Um mm. Hanson is you know couldn't be asked campaigning. Um, she's now announced that she's not going not going to get any of those vaccinations. So, you oh. know, her ability to Fine. travel Don't. the nation um, you know spreading her her gospel is uh you know, may, may be limited. Although, as we know, one nation do have their own plane for reasons that really should have been investigated further. Um, they they need somebody. Oh, yeah. You know, you know, when when the most charismatic person that you have kind of got on the team is Mark Latham, you can probably rule out um, sort of much progress. And Evans is that very specific one nations uh, one nation kind of crazy as well where you know he does have a, a bit of a sovereign citizen streak he's got the anti science streak he's got the conspiratorial thinking and and most importantly and and again it, it this is sort of a joke but not really he's got that ability to Deliver a stream of consciousness monologue which makes absolutely no fucking sense whatsoever. Where you're kind of going like, well, I get there's a vibe coming out of this, but like these words are not coherent. So let's talk about rats.
1: Or
5: let's talk about rats. rats.
1: I think we finished it. This is this is a story for our time. Uh, where am I getting from the Gothamist in New York? A man who fell through a sidewalk sinkhole into a pit of rats files lawsuits. So this is Leonard Shoulders, who's from the Bronx. A sinkhole opened up in the sidewalk and plunged him into a den of agitated rats.
2: I saw that clip on Twitter and I watched it probably 30 times in in mounting horror. (laughs) It's
1: just So the quote from his attorney is these rats were crawling all over him and he was fearful of screaming out because he didn't want them to go into his mouth or further agitate them.
2: <laughs>
1: he also fractured his spine and was paralysed, so I shouldn't oh, say holy, this
2: I, I didn't know that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, it's not
1: just the rats. He is actually injured.
2: Oh, my goodness. I, I know... Well, yes, at the time... Um, I think they were reporting that he broken his wrist or something like that. But, oh, my goodness, uh, that, that's yeah, much more serious. No, no, no. That's, that's yeah,
1: he fractured his spine, uh, his. recovering uh, three weeks recovery after surgery, slowly regaining the feel in his legs and hands, oh, still has difficulty walking, says his attorney. So I'm now kind of embarrassed by turning that into a joke, but. Given that we must soldier on in this stupid Minde. fucking podcast. As, as we fall, uh, and,
2: fall into the a pit <laughs> of rats of the soul.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the Gothamist notes, this suit comes almost one year to the day since a Manhattan handyman sued his employer for, for allowing a ceiling full of rats to collapse on his head. Uh, which they then say, which raises which raises the interesting philosophical question about the relative merits of falling into a nest of rats compared to having a nest of rats fall on you.
2: Mm. That's a good question. I I think on balance I would rather the rats fell on me For, I f- Yeah, I yeah, feel I'm like they that. would probably scuttle away. Yeah. Whereas no, I'm with you landing on, on the rats, you know, I, I, I feel like... Yeah, once once you're in, in that a sinkhole, right? In
1: a sinkhole, in a sinkhole, down hole. there.
2: Yeah, with a broken spine. It's there's nothing about this that sounds fun, though. I mean, on on balance, for thirty
1: for thirty minutes, fire department in New York took thirty minutes to kind of deal with getting him out of the hole. And it was again there was a, that
2: that sort of lovely other detail, which is that. Um, Apparently, the city is not responsible for the upkeep of uh, the sidewalk, and that this falls under the uh, the purview of the st- the shop owners that face onto that. And I was kind of like, I'm what? pretty sure that if you were like, you know, had a shoe shop, and they said, "Oh, by the way, the structural integrity of the uh, of, of the, the bit outside that's that's up to you." You're probably not going to go, "Oh, cool." Well, I'll, look, I'll get an engineer in. And I'll just get that checked out because that's the sort of thing which, as somebody who sells shoes, I'm very much across. It, it does seem like it's a a, a a recipe for neglect, and so therefore I now assume that along with all the other problems that New York has, like, you know, Chuds and uh, Godzillas, that just Alligators in the sewers. Alligators in the sewers. Su- sudden sinkholes is, is now my, my new terror for um, for going to New York, assuming that we ever get to leave the uh, <laughs> leave our bedrooms again. If the aftertimes ever happen. <laughs> if so ever- if, if
1: this ever becomes possible uh, and you are waiting for a bus at East 183rd Street near 3rd Avenue.
2: Stay light on your feet. Watch that's, out. That's the answer. <laughs> we yeah, should stop now. Just keep keep sort of you know boun- bouncing like a like a boxer,
1: and with that wonderful image, <laughs> Andrew P Street. Um, yeah, we should stop this. It's getting silly.
2: Yes, absolutely. It's silly Couldn't to begin with, more. but
1: it's getting more silly. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed that. It's been a long time since we've chatted. It has. Thank been. you.
2: Oh, a great. Ladies
1: look. and gentlemen, round of applause, not that anyone will hear this because it's pre-recorded. <laughs> Mr Mr Andrew P Street. No, no so, oh, stop. Oh,
5: stop.
2: <laughs> Very kind. Thank you still. This has been been a delight.
1: And that's all the edict for now. Uh, all the links the 9pmedic.com Uh, Go there to tip, like, subscribe, send money and tell your friends. The next episode, next week, with distinguished Professor Genevieve Bell. Until then, I'm Stilgarian. Wash your hands.
0: The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.
5: Fuck you and it's your last chance. For the people, the mask wearers, the TV watchers, it's our last chance to say fuck you to them. So let's rock and roll. Faces hiding in the safe places. today and just enjoying enjoying a bit of freedom with me they can't take shit because we got it and all you got to do is know it so leave your houses don't wear no bullshit mask it's your life it's not theirs tell them to fuck off rock on guys thanks for coming stay powerful i'm packing up now see you